Welcome to the 15th episode of Junto Club. On this episode, we talk about how the work to start something doesn't compare to the work to keep it running, and a couple of different news stories. Then Shu interviews our guest C on computer hardware design and the future of computing. For any questions, comments, or if you have something you'd like to rant on, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. All right, <laughs> all right, we are live. <laughs> First time, so so all right. Welcome to the fifteenth episode, a meeting of Junto Club on March eighteenth, twenty twenty one, where we are inspired by the original uh, Junto Club started by Benjamin Franklin around three hundred years ago, and where he started to discuss topics of. Uh, politics, philosophy, science, and business. And today, uh, our main topic is going to be the future of uh, computing, more specifically, uh, the future of like, computer uh, chips. And then we have, which basically runs everything in our lives right now. And then today we we have a uh, gas C, and he had been working on GPU for many years, and then including many other things including painting painting so anyway so we we before we get there uh as per usual we're gonna go start with a quote from benjamin franklin right and today the quote that confused me a little bit is quote it is easier to build two chimneys than maintain one in fuel unquote what does that mean can you right. repeat it first? Oh, okay. It's it's easier to build two chim- chimneys, right? Then maintain one in fuel, like a fuel and energy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think this one's easy. Not last week's was really tricky. I still don't know, but this one, I think he's just saying. I mean, in a pract- the practical analogy is, uh, if you have two chimneys, you can kind of stop using one while you clean it and maintain it while you use the other. Okay. And I think the larger metaphor here is sort of an element of it, like sometimes doing the work up front to be more prepared will pay off in the end. Like you try to take a shortcut and then you end up having to do more work down the road because you took the shortcut to start with. There's lots of examples of that in life. This is a, you know, old school version of that. Personally, I know I've tried to like be lazy with cooking where I don't like properly prep everything and use like as many dishes because i'm like oh i can just do this on the fly or something and then it makes a mess and Mm. like i screw things up and i'm like i should have just like cut everything up and separated it all out before i started cooking that's where it comes to me uh but yeah that's my angle what's what's the second part mean though let's maintain one in two what does that mean and that's the part i don't get well i mean i was thinking about this as more like there's certain, I I don't know. I mean, I guess keeping something like one thing functioning well is maybe maybe more work than sort of having two things that don't work at all. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, like, like my first idea was that uh, like it's easy to build something; it's harder to maintain it and keep it running for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like in software, it's like it's easy to code up 
something than to like maintain it over the lifetime of like, you know, passing down generational knowledge and mm. keeping something working continuously. Mm. So it's not, so you're saying it's not necessarily about being able to like switch chimneys, just in general, building something's easier than keeping it going long-term. Right. right. You can like take a bunch of shortcuts just to build it, but to maintain it, there's um, potential of hard work or unglamorous work. Mm, okay. Okay. So the second part basically means keep one going, right? So it's easier to build two chimneys, but it's hard then to keep one going for a long, long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I assume right. maintain and fueled means like maintain it while it's being used, right? Mm, Probably. Okay. Probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a little bit of an old school uh <laughs> saying. I don't I don't think any of us have a hundred percent certainty what it means, but Yeah. I haven't maintained the chimney before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it's three hundred years ago, so Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's good. I think uh that's good help me understand benjamin frank a little bit more so any any news topic you guys want to talk about this week mm. uh they might be doing something with the filibuster they keep going back and forth on that have y'all seen any of the debates about you know whether they're going to change it remove it or whatnot oh are they i don't think there's unanimous democratic support yeah, I think that's the problem because was it Joe Manchin or whoever doesn't seem to want it. I really like the idea of uh, just making the minority of the who you're doing the filibuster have to be there so they can still do it. They just can't filibuster by like sending an email and then going out to like a bar like they have to actually like sit in. I think that would be a fair compromise where it's like doesn't remove it, but makes it costly. So you can't abuse it as much, but I don't know what y'all I, I thought filibuster was you have to like stand there and keep talking. Right. That's part of it. But right now, like, I guess the change they would do is like, you would need the 41 people who you need 41 people to filibuster because if you have 60 who want to vote against it, they can just override it anyway. So I'd say the 41 people have to be there. So you can't have one person stand up and the rest go home and then take like hour shifts or something. I don't know all the details about how okay, it works. Yeah, yeah. That, but but right now you don't need the 41 to be there. And I think that would be a fair compromise. Democrats are the one that want to get rid of it, right? Mostly, yeah. And why, why do they want to do that? What's the motivation? They have the majority. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yes, that. Because they have the majority now, very, very slightly. <laughs> and I mean, for the last, like, I don't know, 12 plus years, Republicans have used it heavily to obstruct like everything all the time Mm. so i feel like a lot of people are just like why it's just been abused too much they don't think it fulfills the same purpose it used to be but i thought yeah that makes sense but i thought republican were having the majority for a long time right so why didn't they try to remove it they find it useful (laughs) i guess i mean what i hear is a lot of people say what republicans most want to do is not much in the first place besides maybe like you know a lot of their platform is cut taxes which you can do with budget reconciliation which bypasses the filibuster anyway so it's kind of like uh i mean i saw people talking about this they're like what they're like why haven't the democrats used the filibuster against republicans they're like what meaningful legislation have republicans passed as law 
through the Senate in like the last 10 years. Like I can't really think of any, mm. I don't think there's much. Mm. So do, do, do you, do you think we should remove it then? You know, so removing it seems extreme at first, but to be fair, like a lot, like most state legislators don't have filibusters and there's like other examples in government where we don't use it and it's fine. But I, I think compromises like needing everyone to be there that make it much harder is a decent first step. Mm. And, you know, from there we can see. That's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's probably, like, that's as far as I would go, honestly. Like, getting rid of it entirely, I could see not necessarily being good. But, I mean, I can see. Like, if it's something you want, like, 41 people is willing to fight on, like to the point they're willing to just be there for extended hours then let them fight i mean i think that's probably means it's something that should be examined at least closer versus like if you just get rid of it it's sort of a like we can just have our party lines depending on who is the majority at the time so Mm -hmm. okay sounds good and i guess personally for me the topics uh the the news topic, I guess, uh, I mean, we are in Atlanta, right? I mean, yes. all of us have lived in Atlanta, either have lived or, you know, are living in Atlanta right now. And then I guess based on what happened on Wednesday and I just a couple of days ago, you know, I guess I have to, I, I'm not sure because, yeah, no, no, Atlanta shooting, right? And, and a couple of days ago. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I was debating whether I want to, I should talk about it. You know, because, uh, you know, I'm Asian, obviously. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's, it's just a hard topic. So I was debating, but I think it might, it's, it's a, I think it's a good play, good, 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 good to talk about it, I guess. Yeah. So, and when in the morning, in the morning, I guess yesterday morning, when I first heard the news, I was like, oh man, I was like, do I need to, you know, stop going tonight? Asian, you know, businesses, you know, in case, you know, someone come and then just, you know, calm down everybody, you know? And then, so, and, but, and then after I hear, like, oh, you know, the news, and oh, he was not motivated by racial bias or racism. <laughs> I mean, strangely, I mean, that made me feel a little bit, a little bit, like, better. Like, not, it's, just, it's not, it's not, I didn't, because you know it's not racial bias based on racism. I mean, it's not inspired by racial bias. And that's, and that's what he claimed to, to to say, right? So I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah. So that's. I guess I'm I'm saying that fear is there, right? It's just like, but I don't want to. But I don't want to. I don't want to live my life by fear, right? Just like not do anything because I'm afraid of something. Because I mean, shooting happen to other populations as well. Like why? I mean. You know, like a few years ago, you know, there's a different uh, other people that come down, you know, like another different group of people, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I guess every, almost like every population is a target, right, in a way. So, yeah. Anyway. I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't yeah. read much about it. Did So, he said he gave his motivations. Is that what you're saying? Like, he explained why he did it? Or I think there were... Yeah. I think there were a lot of references to like God and religion and like specific, like, so it wasn't just Asian businesses he targeted, right? It was specifically spas 
So, and I think that like those were like sexual places. Uh, like, so sex workers were the target. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey no, no, I don't. What? Why you say? I don't think no spas are sex workers though. So. Well, I mean, not, of course, it's not legal, but I mean, those there has uh, those types yeah, of places time. have certain connotations. I won't say really? those. Of course, I did see something where people like supposedly confirmed that multiple of the places were like on online websites where you can like look up for be like where you can get you know happy endings and stuff this is all hearsay i didn't double check but that's what i saw people are like oh yeah if you go online you can find these places they do this hmm. um you know yeah so all right any thoughts on that see before we go to I, I haven't heard too much about it yeah, yeah. Um, okay other, well, than, other than like the chief saying that the guy had a bad day or something oh yeah mm-hmm. my fiance just told me about that and i'm like oof that's not what you want to say <laughs> right that's a bad quote yeah. yeah but no i mean I, I i do like how you finished your thoughts show you know just by saying like i feel like we live in a world where basically like every single piece of news is basically like inspiring some type of fear right like, I mean, the virus, like, yeah, it's important to be smart. It's important to wear masks. It's important to get vaccinated, whatever. But it's like, you know, basically, like, we, for over a year at this point, like, we've been hearing day in and day out, like, this virus is outside that's going to kill you. And, like, mm-hmm. before that, like, I, I mean, I feel like, in all, all honesty, this mass shooting is sort of like America getting back to where it was, right? I mean, like, it used to be, like, every week before we... uh I mean, before the virus, like it was a mass shooting of one thing or another. So it's like, I mean, the world is a scary and terrible place, but I, I think it's important to like focus <laughs> on not being afraid and living your life. That's, that's really dark, Mike. That's really dark. This, yeah. When Mike looks back in his life years later, he's going to be like, the turning point for COVID was when we cared about mass shootings again. Then I that's knew right. we were <laughs> almost done. <laughs> back to normal. So yeah, one one thing I think this is very sensitive is because he's he's targeting like Asians, right? So that's why and then um, attacking on Asians have been going on for for a while now, and then that's why there's a lot of uh, protests going on like in any within the Asian community, right? So it's, it so a lot of media is like, oh, is this a trend? Is like is 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 Asian are being really targeted? You know, you do we do see a lot of video of where like, old people walking on the street, you know, just get attacked, right? By pushed away by by some random person, right? Yeah, so, that was like in Oakland. Huh? I saw one in Oakland. Ah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So do you think that's a trend? Uh no. Wouldn't stun me if, like, there's increased like racism or vitriol toward you know Asian Americans because of the virus. But um, yeah, but I mean, I I mean, America is I thought you know racist. So I mean, it's so, so I I mean I don't know what you can like. I mean, other than just being like when like you see something just feel like don't be stupid or if it's like something like this the news is saying like don't be stupid i don't know what like i mean there's just so many stupid people (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i guess i mean i have i mean i I think we i talked about this before and i've been struggling with like racism it's not about like i try not to think about it i basically my strategy just to ignore it right like just even if there's a trend, I just ignore it because because uh, otherwise I you know I don't want to live in fear right. And then plus ninety nine point nine percent of the people I 
gonna meet or ever meet are gonna be good people, right? It's not gonna be, you know. So yeah. So hate, and I try to adopt, I guess, no no wise word from Taylor Swift. Someone he says, she says, uh, Taylor's gonna hate, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. So anyway, that, that's my that's how I'm I'm gonna try to to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Just, I I I mean I can only speak for myself, right? I mean a, a lot other people might might have harder time, right? So for me personally, because uh, because otherwise, uh, otherwise it's not because it give you a negative. I I guess I try not to get into the victim mindset as well, because I'm I'm very insecure person already i don't want to get even more insecure about myself <laughs> right mm-hmm. so anyway so yeah no yeah i mean i think when so you see something that's obviously wrong you should try to write it or like yeah. you, you know i mean if it's like there's an instance where you suffer some type of discrimination like raise like make it known and like try to fight against it but i think it is good that like you shouldn't like go into every situation like anticipating like something negative to happen. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why and that's why I try to not to do basically. Right? Yeah. No, it's something I think that's valuable is living in the like living in the moment and being more reactive people because it, I think it's healthy, like mentally healthy compared to like constantly like pushing up like battling against something or like battling against what you see the future holding uh, sounds good all right uh that's good let's uh let's move on to the last uh, less emotional topic <laughs> future of, future of computing <laughs> so all right so so i guess my first question uh, the motivation for this is I want to know now in the future if I want I need to invest all my money into an area of computing, right? Where will I put all my money? Where will I put all my chips in microchips? That's my <laughs> so that oh, is Lord. the main motivation. Yes. So see, that's the first question. Where do you think where should I put all my if you actually not you, if you're gonna put all your net worth in one area of computing, where would you put all your money? Uh, well, I wouldn't put all my net worth into one area of computing. But if you, if you, if you, gun to your head. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, computing is like the the different areas are kind of cyclical. Um, you know, like one area is going to see some radical improvement, and then they'll plateau off, and then another area will see um, some improvement, and it's is really based on just you know the underlying technology what um, what new thing new invention is gonna um, enable um, so for example for a long time we have um, you know just Moore's law going on and um, I think you're gonna ask this question later on as well I won't mm-hmm. belabor the point but basically for a long time we could just like increase the clock speed right and no one really cared too much about it. Um, every year or two, your performance would double, and um, you just you just wait a while, and then things would get better. Um, but now that we've hit uh, various kinds of walls on that, um, we're looking for different um, solutions at different levels um, in hardware and software um, to enable new experiences and, and new performance. Um, so, 
it, it's probably it's kind of like mainstream of me to say this, but you know, I think AI there's a lot of potential mm. uh, where that's going. But if you look at the history of AI,、um, there's been like several、uh, springs and winters they call it,、mm. where like some new technique will be、uh, will be they demonstrate like. You can do a lot with this new technique, and then they're like, "Oh, this is the future is coming. The general artificial intelligence is coming."、Um, and then they realize, "Oh, you can only do so much with this technique." And then they're like, "Oh, AI is dead. It's never going to happen."、Mm-hmm. And then you kind of like rinse and repeat this a few times. So currently now it's、uh, it's you know this、um, like deep learning、uh, neuron based、uh, kind of、uh, neural networks.、Um, And you can certainly do a lot with it. And、um, I don't know just exactly like what the scaling for that is, but you know maybe it's enough to take us all the way to uh, AGI. Uh, maybe it's going to stop, and you know all I can do is、uh, tell you whether something's a hot dog or not.、Mm. So, so your point is the、uh, is the microchips are. Development usually are generated by push,、uh, by the applications, right? Is that, is that your point? That it was driven by the development, generally, generally driven by an applications, like, right? Um, I think it's it's a mutual relationship.、Um, you know, you have like uh, hard uh, video accelerators、um, back in the day, they're called, and then they develop more and more capabilities and they're accelerating graphics. And then at some point, someone realized, "Hey, this is a really powerful computer, and we can use it for something beyond graphics."、Mm. And then at a certain point, they're like, "Oh, we can use this for,、uh, you know, <clears throat> matrix multiply and convolutional neural networks."、Um, and then you have this AI explosion because、um, GPUs are, you know, so many times more powerful than the CPUs.、Mm. So. Going back a little bit, like I think there are three major types of, and it's from what I can see, types of computer chips, right?、Uh, one's a CPU, GPU, and the other one. I mean, CPU is what everybody in, have in their on their laptops, right? And GPU, of course, is like gaming computers on the one that in data centers, and then on, also on the one using like for mining bitcoins, right? GPUs, and The other ones are ARM processor. I think they are, they are using for like you know phones, right? So is that is that correct or no? So、um, if you want to look into classification of of like computer chips,、um, you have CPUs,、uh, and the major players are the x86、uh, architecture, which Intel and AMD makes,、uh, and ARM, which everyone else basically makes.、Mm. And ARM is on the low power end, and、uh, x86 is on the high power end. And it's not like、um, these things are inherently high power, low power. It's just where they started from. So, What do you mean by high power, low power? Do you mean their speed?、Uh, yeah, yeah, their speed, right? Like you look at x86 CPUs; they're running at like close to five gigahertz now.、Mm. Um, and ARM processors have traditionally been very slow. But they're slowly ramping up to something like three gigahertz.、Um, so it's not like very very slow, but it's still、um, two very different approaches.、Um, basically, x86 is like we'll throw more area and more power at this thing, 
and we just needed to run at a higher frequency um, versus ARM is more of a, you know, how, how much more can we accomplish without increasing frequency? Mm. Okay. So that's, that's CPUs. Um, another one is GPUs. Uh, and that's mainly <clears throat> um, for applications where you have massive parallelism. Mm. Um, CPUs, you're running, you know, four, eight, 16 cores, maybe. Um, newer generations, you have more and more cores, but GPUs, you have thousands of cores uh, or 10,000 cores now, I think. 10,000 uh, cores? Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, order of magnitude difference or, or two orders of magnitude difference. Uh, um, and the way you can get away with that is because um, a GPU works on mainly pixels. Um, mm-hmm. A 1080p screen, you have 2 million pixels. A 4K screen, you have 8 million pixels. Um, 60 frames, 120 frames a second. That's billions of pixels that you're working on um, every second. So um, you can, and the algorithms are generally such that you can treat each pixel relatively independently. So you just run them on their own core. Um, and the more cores you add, the, you know, the more compute you can do because there's basically a limitless amount of work to do. Um, but you can't necessarily do that with CPUs. Um, so, so what... I guess uh, going back a little bit, like, what do you, do you know what Xbox using? Like, I mean, no, no, it's gaming uh, like consoles, like, like the PlayStation and stuff like that. The yeah, they're, they're using x86. Their AMD makes um, both the CPU and GPU for the, the current and last generation consoles. X86. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's an architecture, right? You're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's the the processor the cpus that amd makes mm, okay and do you know why is it because i i talked to one person the other day randomly and then he was just like oh he he tried to buy a game playstation 5 right now and just like can't buy it anywhere right right do you know what happened there like why there's a shortage um i think part of it is the pandemic uh, a lot of people are just buying more computers in general um, part and phones, and the other part is that um, there's only so much so uh, so much production capacity mm. for for these chips, and everyone wants to use the latest generation. Um, and um, I don't know how long it's been, but basically they're all trying to trying to build from TSMC. That's the Taiwan Silicon Manufacturer Company. Oh, yeah. And so they only have so many supplies to go uh, around. Um, if you look at NVIDIA, they had to go with Samsung. Um, and it, they're the, the, like AMD's chips, basically, they're all manufactured at 7 nanometer mm-hmm. process. Uh, and they can't go higher because that would be worse off, more, more power, more area. Uh, and they can't go lower because uh, Apple has basically bought, you know, the entire five nanometer production. Mm. So they're just, they're just stuck until um, TSMC can build out more uh, production capacity. 
Yeah, and then that's another question about TSMC, Taiwanese uh, manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm. So why is Taiwan like TSMC is the leading leader in semiconductor manufacturing? Um, I think early on they kind of opened themselves up and they uh, you know collaborated with a lot of uh, different companies. Mm. So um, in that way, they were able to pull in the expertise of many different companies. Um, to you know, because everyone wants to build a slightly different thing, and so they're able to solve a lot more problems together mm. than um, someone like Intel, where they only manufacture uh, Intel products. Mm. Yeah, I guess mentioning Intel, and I, I guess Intel have been overtaken by almost an AMD. I'm not sure it's overtaken by AMD right now, but it's not. Their stock price have been going down, right? So. You know, it's yeah. all, all coming around to stock price. So, so what happened to what happened to Intel? Like, why is it why is it losing its uh, market share? Um, Intel has really been stagnant for the last five or six years. Um, hmm. Their upper uh, management has kind of been slowly taken over by MBAs. Um, MBAs, yeah, you know, like they were used to, they used to be like very engineering heavy uh, company. Uh, executives used to be very um, engineering background but now they're kind of slowly you know as they leave they're replaced with MBAs Um, I've heard um, basically like they didn't want to build out uh, or upgrade their facility they wanted to be able to reuse their fab um, for like one extra generation Mm. and uh, they ran into a more than expected number of problems and they're just haven't been able to um, resolve them and get the yield up um, because of it, because they didn't want to build a new fab. Um, mm. So part of it is, you know, they just want to save money um, to, you know, not uh, buy additional equipment mm-hmm. uh, and, and building fabs. Uh, part of it is that they really didn't have any competition, so they didn't have to push themselves. Mm. Um, last five or so years, they've been. Like every year they come out with a new generation of Intel chips and every year it's like, you know, two, five, 7% better. Whereas, um, you know, AMD has been going like, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but they've been um, accelerating quite a bit and then Apple has been accelerating quite a bit. So um, it's not so much that um, like Intel failed horribly it's more like they just haven't been trying as hard Mm. Um, so you know they really haven't done a whole lot in the last five years and basically just this past year amd has surpassed them Mm. in terms of of market share i guess in in terms of performance performance what do you mean performance like the the new chips they make yeah yeah like uh, single-threaded uh, performance, multi-threaded performance, um, the amount of power that they consume, the energy efficiency. Um, What's the difference between, I guess, uh, AMD and Intel right now, the CPUs, the performance? Now, I guess the, oh. one, 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 I guess the speed, right? Do they have anything different in speed? Yeah, like their, their speed is different. Um, I don't know in terms of like gigahertz wise, but if you look at stuff like, you know, rendering or different benchmarks, um, AMD is coming out ahead. Mm. AMD has also been focused on a lot on GPUs, right? 
Yes, yeah, they, they just released a new generation of GPUs and NVIDIA released a new generation of GPUs. So this past, like basically end of last year, you had new consoles, new GPUs, new CPUs. They're all manufactured, or most of them manufactured on 7 nanometer TSMC. And you have the pandemic where everyone is just buying more stuff because they can't travel. Mm. Seven. So uh, why? So Intel is not working on GPU at all? Or do they? Intel is working on a GPU. They're slowly coming out with something, but they're primarily focused on supercomputer side for now. Uh-huh. And eventually they'll get to consumers. Intel does a lot of integrated GPUs, but do they have any discrete ones? Yeah, they're, they announced them. I don't know if anyone can buy them yet, um, but they have the supercomputer contract that they like have to finish in a couple of years. So mm. um, they're prioritizing that first. What do you okay. mean by in- integrated? And so, re- so it's basically integrated into the CPU chip. So it's a much lower power like it takes less power it's a lot less powerful but it gives you some basic graphics computing um kind of in an easy format so it's good for like small laptops and things mm-hmm. discrete are like graphics ca- cards or chips that are discrete separate from the cpu and those are generally a lot more powerful that's what you want to play your games or mine your bitcoins and things like that ah <laughs> uh, uh, okay okay um yeah so um Intel makes uh, integrated GPUs, um, but they don't have to be um, low power. Um, mm. So if you look at you know, the new consoles, they all have integrated GPUs mm. uh, and that AMD makes. And they, have, they, just, they can just put a big GPU in there in the same die as a CPU, uh, and then it's more powerful. So, okay. Now, you, you mentioned NVIDIA. So, so it's NVIDIA and AMD. How are they compared to each other in terms of... Uh, they seem to be pretty neck and neck. Um, uh, NVIDIA has been in the lead for many years now. Uh, um, the software is more stable. Um, they're generally more performant and better. Um, they're, they're, they have better uh, energy efficiencies. Um, this time around, they're not so good, um, partly because they're, on, uh, they're running on, on the Samsung process as opposed to the TSMC process. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more inefficient. Um, and maybe they got a little bit ahead of themselves. They're um, focused much more on, you know, the, the cool things like uh, um, like AI workloads and ray tracing workloads. Um, mm-hmm. They excel in those quantities, but they kind of suffer uh, at just like raw graphics performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So... Going back to one question about Intel. So Chenet, you were saying that they were like try to they are not investing in their like, fabrication, basically making their own chips, right? So Chenet go. I think a lot of people were like advising them to go fab list, basically like get rid of their fabs, right? Just like work on design, I guess design their chips, and then let other people do the manufacturing, like TSMC. So. So I don't know what the relative production capacities are, but um, from what I've heard, like Intel is still selling a lot more chips than AMD. Um, and TSMC likely cannot accommodate uh, you know, the quantities that Intel would need. Mm. Um, and 
a lot of Intel's advantages is that they own the manufacturing and the design. Mm. And so there's, there's a lot of uh, vertical integration going on there. And that's where um, they win out a lot of times. So um, I think they are, they're, they're spending more resources on their manufacturing and um, like they might be in decline now, but they're, they have such a massive lead over AMD um, in, in terms of just like customer relationships and hmm. like the software side as well. And there's, there's a lot of software that supports and optimize um, for Intel, but not AMD. So even though if like any generic game or benchmark runs better on AMD um, for like an enterprise customer, um, their, their servers are going to still be running better uh, on Intel and they don't have to take the chance of migrating everything over to AMD. Ah, I see. I see. So yeah. So Long story short, um, basically Intel has like at least a decade of, of runway. Um, they can, they can do nothing for a decade and, uh, before they have to really worry. Okay. So sounds nice. Sounds nice. It's a good time. Maybe get put $10 into Intel for me. And it's, <laughs> well, that no, mean... Intel is slowly going down. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna you say... don't want to invest in them now. They might come up, uh, but. Got you. Got you. All right. All right. Sounds good. So it's just a very slow going down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as I guess, as we know, I think, uh, we like neural networks, AI, uh, machine learning, you know, and these data centers are using GPUs, right? Uh, right now, you know, and Bitcoin mining, right? So is in the future going to be GPU dominated? Uh, do you think like going to be still going to be CPU dominated? Or is maybe that's a bad question, right? It, maybe- it really depends on what the workload is. Hmm. Um, if, you're doing more AI based, um, you're probably better off with something like, uh, the Google TPU where it's a special piece of Silicon that's designed to just do AI stuff. Google what? TPU, their tensor processing unit. Oh, wow. All right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So basically Google is making specific chips for doing machine learning stuff, AI stuff. Pretty yeah. much neural yeah. network focused. Uh, okay. Do they have any? Uh, a lot of customers for that? I'm sure they do, but they don't sell the, the TPUs to other people. It's just for Google servers. So they sell the service. They don't sell the hardware. Ah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, cool. Going back to GPU. So what's the, I guess I'm curious about it. What's the origin story of GPU? Do you know? Um, well, so like I said before, it started with video accelerators. Um, basically, mm-hmm. uh, they accelerate like small parts of the, the graphics pipeline. Mm-hmm. As, um, you know, as these chips became more sophisticated, they, can, they take over more and more of the, the graphics pipeline. Um, NVIDIA at a certain point decided, hey, you know, we can call this its own processor. Mm-hmm. So they adopted the graphics processing unit. So that's where GPU came from. When was that? Um, around 2000. I, I remember my first graphics card was uh, a GPU. Uh, 2000. Was, of, was the first GPU, actually. So. Oh, wow. Wow. That's later so, than I thought. I would have. I feel like yeah. it was only a few years later that I got like my first computer, which I knew had a GPU in it. 
And I guess I yeah. assume they that would have been how they were for a long time. But I mean, there was called video card, right? Mm, yeah. Right. GPU, the term didn't come about until like 2000, 2001, something like that. So you're telling me you you had your hands on a GPU in 2000 already? Mm-hmm. Wow. That was like what? You're 15? Uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I was saving, I saved my lunch money for like two years. And then <laughs> I was like, you're not getting anywhere close. I'll just buy it for you. <laughs> Hold on. What sweet game did you play with that GPU? Oh man, I played uh, Total Annihilation. Have you heard of that one? No. So it like, <laughs> sounds like something like Doom. Um, it's more like a uh, Red Alert or StarCraft. Oh, okay. Okay. It, it actually was... I think it was 3D, but it was like minimally. So um, there was a game called Homeworld, which is like a space RTS that was fully 3D, and it it, it was extremely blocky, right? But it, at the time, I just felt like I was watching a movie. <laughs> wow! Wow! What's your first computer? When was it? Uh, yeah, I think it was around then, 2000 ish. Okay. All right. All right. Day. Yeah, I think I didn't really, you know, have a computer until like college. So I guess that's why I'm slower than you guys. <laughs> so was this the time when you were uh, in the village, shoe? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no electricity. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, you came to Florida for uh, high school, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but you know, didn't really, you know, in te- extensively using a computer, right? So yeah. Wow. What did you do um, when uh, in high school if you didn't have a computer? I mean, you don't need a computer in high school, right? And in my high school, I don't need a computer. Sure, yeah, yeah. But what did you do for fun then? I mean, oh, you know, I help out in a restaurant. I go to a restaurant and study in the back. <laughs> so studious. Reading books, right? Reading, I mean, I was studying. Like, I, I was try, still trying to learn English. So that was, uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, that's what I did. So I feel like even then most teachers would have rather things be printed out like reports compared to handwritten. Did you just like annoy your teachers? No. Or we, were they still wanting handwritten papers? Yeah, everything's handwritten. I was taking like AP European history. I was like taking notes. Yeah, everything's handwritten. Oh yeah. my gosh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Imagine writing a report. Oh my God. <laughs> well, what did you do in like middle school? Like this would have been our like late elementary, like early middle school years, right? My middle school or C's middle school? Well, no, 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 no. I'm saying the map. Like if I, like I think by high school, most of the stuff, yes, was word processed. But like I'm saying, I think, in elementary and middle school, I think I hand wrote a lot. Like, not exclusively, but... Yeah. I don't think I ever hand wrote anything that was more than two pages, maybe more than one. Like, even in middle school, junior high, I was... If we had a report, I would type it up and print it. Yeah, and I feel nice. like most kids did. And I, I guess was in, that's true. And I was in Louisiana, so it's not exactly, you know, leading the pack in terms of education for the country. So I, I assumed it would have been similar everywhere else, but... You you keep saying that, but every time you say stuff, the things that you learn, like it's something that me and my and his I had never learned. So it's like your high school is like way ahead, of, and it's my high school. Yeah, but you went to high school in Florida, right? So <laughs> so we're like we're talking about states that are you know all at the end of the pack here. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, all right. So going back to the computer chips, so is so 
you mentioned earlier, like most law, like basically predicts that computer chips, basically the speed of computer basically uh, doubles every two years, right? So is yeah. this is is this still valid? Uh, no. I mean, it's not a law, right? It's or it's more like a self-fulfilled prophecy kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law was made, and then everyone's like, "Okay, this is the cadence that we need to, yeah, uh, be be following." And so, um, and for a long time, they just kind of shrank uh, the process every two years, and it was fine. But um, in the last many years, I think uh, there's just been um, a lot of issues. The price of uh, <clears throat> like they they need to go into ultra UEV, I forgot what it stands for, but some some kind of advanced um, you know lithography um, that costs billions of dollars for to make these machines, um, and um, I, I've been to a few lectures where they talk about this, and um, the consensus seems to be that um, there's no like roadmap for you know progressively shrinking down. It's mm-hmm. more like um, there are a lot of one-trick things that they they can they will give a one-time bump in in um, you know increasing the uh, or, or reducing the the size of the transistor and, and increasing the speed. Mm. Um, but there's there's many of these one-time bumps. So um, you know, as long as people can keep up with the cadence, we can keep shrinking down and, and making these computer chips more efficient. Oh, I see. So what's the, what's the limit? Is it seven nanometer or five nanometer? And it's the transistor, the channel between the switches, right? Anyway, yeah. So <clears throat> these, uh, these numbers don't really mean a whole lot anymore. Oh, really? They're more like marketing numbers. Mm. Uh, for example, um, the, the density of like a five nanometer chip is not twice that of a 10 nanometer chip. Ah, uh, okay. A lot of times... Um, like Intel has been saying, oh, well, we'll make a 14 nanometer and then we'll make a 14 nanometer plus and then 14 nanometer plus plus and then plus plus plus, right? <clears throat> but other companies like TSMC, they've been going like, oh, we'll make a 10 nanometer, then an 8 nanometer, then a 7 nanometer, then a, a 5 nanometer. So the, the nanometers don't actually necessarily correspond to the actual physical dimension of a transistor anymore okay so what, what should we pay attention to then what's the <clears throat> i guess what's what's determined uh to to keep Moore's law going like what's the i guess actually the better question is that what's the talking about nanometer that what's the right what is what is the wall like, that we are hitting right what's the wall that we are hitting well yeah you can't get much lower than like one nanometer i don't think because you need to be literally like 10 atoms across or something yeah i think we're we're already at like a few atoms across now um but that is just one dimension right and a transistor is three dimensions so you could potentially shrink other other dimensions um there are the space between transistors that you can shrink um there is the voltage that you can shrink Mm. um so there is there are things that people can do. Um, they can do different doping, different uh, materials with different characteristics. So, mm-hmm. but a lot of those alternatives are just too costly. 
So basically, by the time you know, every new generation of, of uh, manufacturing, they're increasing the cost. TSMC is investing something like twenty-five to twenty-eight billion dollars this year in you know building out their fabs. So eventually, it's going to be thirty billion, forty billion, fifty billion. However much it's going to be, eventually it will be to the point where uh, those alternative uh, manufacturing processes will be uh, cost competitive, and then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll switch to something else. Mm-hmm. So switch. So what's the future then in there? Well, I don't know. I don't keep up with these things. More uh, slow. <laughs> but but suffice to say, there's probably enough uh, alternatives going on that you know we can keep extending uh, Moore's law for you know indefinite number of years. What are the methods like? I, I guess that's, oh. that's my expertise. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, hold on. I'm just gonna say. I mean. Hasn't Moore's law already stopped? Like, yeah, things are still improving for sure, but yeah. it, like computer chips are not twice as fast as they were two years ago or even close, yeah. right? So Moore's law is actually the number of transistors per area, per square millimeter or something like that. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, Has so that not, still They're really focused up? on just like packing them even tighter and tighter and tighter. Hmm. I know when it, when it comes to packing things that dense, like a big issue is heat and just like actually getting the heat out. Right. I was, cause I mean, I guess from just a, like a more consumer perspective, less expert, like it seems like, Oh, you want a faster computer chip? Well, now we have two cores, four cores, eight cores. That's the way they've increased your actual, like the speed you have in the last decade, really. It's, it's not that the chips, themselves are like they get a little better but individual chips haven't seemed to really increase dramatically even anywhere close to moore's law in terms of performance but yeah so like per core like single core single threaded workloads um if you look at intel i think last five years they've gone up by like 50 percent or something like that mm-hmm. so it's it's not much on a year-to-year cadence and and you're right like they've just been doubling their cores whenever they kind of see the the competition do it um the the way that we're getting around um this is that you know a lot of the new technologies new applications they're not enabled by faster cores faster cpus they're enabled by better gpus with ai chips right Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the the trend is that instead of um just kind of brute force making a cpu faster and faster well develop silicon to develop different architectures that fit the workload better. So we don't have to have, you know, one general purpose core to do uh, these things very fast. We can just make, you know, a thousand really dumb cores and then they're all structured in such a way that they can just do things uh, maybe at a slower speed, but because there's so many of them, you can do a lot more in aggregate. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I guess you're talking about almost like application driven. So like AI chips, right? Like the tensor processing unit similar to that. Yeah. And then you can make one that maybe in the future, someone's going to make one that is like specific for mining Bitcoin. Oh, they already do. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Like you, you can't mine a Bitcoin with, you know, a GPU or CPU anymore. It's not cost efficient. Ah. And, and you don't have the necessary speed. So people are using, 
um, application specific um, silicon <clears throat> or, or ASIC. Are these FPGAs oh. or do they have a company? No, like not, not FPGAs, right? FPGAs are, are they're programmable. Uh, people have built, you know, specific pieces of silicon just mm. for mining that they don't do anything else but mine. Mm. Mm. I've so never heard of that. They're, they're able to get <clears throat> uh, like much better energy efficiency because of that, you know, like 10, 100,000 times better energy efficiency than what you can do with a CPU or GPU. What's the cost of making a chip like that? Millions of dollars. <laughs> but but when you can make millions of dollars with bitcoins, then you know it works out. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So, but millions of dollars, they're probably making multiple, right? Now, how many do they get? Do you know? I <laughs> like the the cost of design and prototyping a chip oh. <clears throat> is in the millions of dollars. Mm. And then when you start manufacturing them, then they're the same as any other chip. Do you know which company is doing that? I don't know the specific names. You know who is doing that? Shu <laughs> just needs their stock ticker. He doesn't need anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so do, is there, is like the technology to custom make these chips and like the whole, like, are we getting better at designing and testing new custom fab? Like, is there going to be a future where, you know, it's not say 3D printing easy, but you can be like, oh, I need a, you know, hardware to do this very narrow task and it doesn't take a tens of millions of dollars investment but i can just have a company make it fairly quick is that something that's coming or is that just still there there are definitely startups uh on that trend they're trying to make it so that you know you can design your own cpu core cpu core to say the number of cores how wide they are how much cash you want all this stuff it's all parameterized you just say that and then you click a button and then they'll they can stamp it out for you Hmm. but that's still a cpu at heart right like it's not gonna necessarily do it's just that's just kind of tuning the the yeah the relative parameters of cpu but not like make a different Mm -hmm. design yeah architecture if you're asking for like you know can someone just code out an algorithm and then like print that out as a cpu or as a as an intake um i think we have a long ways to go to get there yeah okay so that yeah, that would be cool. I sh- I'm going to switch my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, algorithms running like AI algorithm running on like generic like CPU is much slower, right? If you always if you just do it in hardware, right, that's it would be much faster. So yeah, but, but the thing is, you still need millions of dollars to make yeah. these things. Mm. So and you and it's not so much that it's hard to make them. It's that it's very labor intensive um, to verify that they work and that they don't break. Mm. Right? The more complicated your chip, the more verification you need. Um, usually in a chip design company, like half the people or more are there. All they do is verify. Mm. Uh, what other, so that's the main cost. I guess I'm trying to understand that what's, what, what can you get the cost down such that, you know, everybody would be easy to make a application specific chip in the future? Um, yeah, like every step of the process has to be automated. Right now, a lot of it is uh, pretty labor intensive and mm. you know, people in the, the chip design domain, they're always optimizing it and automating, but mm. uh, a lot of times you have to throw all that away with the next generation. 
Okay, okay. So if I'm understanding correctly, you are saying that maybe we don't need to keep Moss Law going, right? We 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 maybe in the future is moving toward more nice application specific, right? Is that is that the main point? Right, and and the thing is, you know, you have an application specific chip, but it only makes sense if you're gonna like really. If your if your application really depends on it, right? If you're going to be using it a lot, um, you can't be like, oh, I want to make a Facebook uh, chip, and then Facebook dies, and then like then your chip is useless. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, shoot, you keep talking about like how the hardware changes, but the software has a say too, right? Like programmers can implement applications or like design models to fit the hardware as well like to, like design applications to fit the parallelism of a system or something like that mm-hmm. yeah so, like you can program something like to be very serially done or you can program it to be like multi-threaded or you know and exploit the hardware you have yeah true true but i guess if you don't do i guess i'm yeah okay that makes sense but I'm, i guess i'm just most mostly focused on the power technology where it can go right so yeah. and yeah okay i guess that yeah okay so i mean software can help as well so anyway All there's right. always there's always going to be like a software hardware co-design where hmm. you're, you're designing hardware for the software right and then once that's locked down you can't really change the software anymore unless mm-hmm. you design chip or you design something more programmable so like for these these kind of AI chips, um, there have you heard of I think it's Cypress or something? Cypress. Uh, they're they're making like an entire wafer is just one chip. Mm. Right. And it's like like 10 kilowatts or something, I forgot. It's it's crazy. Um they, they pump a lot of energy through this thing. And then, um it's it's all like it's like a giant matrix of really tiny chips mm-hmm. and so you can just program it so that you know this program runs on this part of the chip and then oh, another my. program runs on this part of the chip and then you you physically like well there's a compiler that does it but it will like route your algorithm through these chips so that you know they they make maximum use of the chip and uh, like they can get a much higher like performance and, and energy efficiency out of it but mm. there is like tremendous amount of overhead in terms of like you want to like fit your application to a T to this partition of the chip. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of ways to go. You can make um, there's a spectrum of like fully programmable to like fully you know one application, and there's a lot of different things that you can design in between. Okay, so yeah, okay, talking about programmable chips. So are they is is that gonna be a big thing? I guess because of FPGA have been around for a long time, right? I feel like not a lot of people are using it, right? Well, FPGAs are they're more like for prototyping generally. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there are there are more like AI and startup uh, companies that are building their own chips, and so in, in that way, like everyone, there's a lot of people who are designing their own application specific chips um but that's really because um like deep learning has become so 
prolific. It, it's used everywhere now, and, and mm. there is a market and an expectation that it will keep going. So, um, if if you want to run some uh, AI algorithm on every video uploaded by YouTube, on every picture and video that you know, every phone um, takes, that's a lot of a lot of extra compute, right? And so you want to, you want to optimize that. So there, there is a market for developing chips specifically for that. Mm. Okay. But it's well, not going to be just like, you know, you want some toy idea and you design a chip for that. It's, it's there's going to need to be like a lot of momentum in the market space before someone will like want um, to invest the capital. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Leave more slow. What about quantum computing? <laughs> um it's i think it's a toy at this point toy yeah like like technically there are some applications that some quantum computers can do you know much better than uh, classical regular computers um there there are instances where like it, it would take like thousands of years for like all the computers on earth to to solve this problem that this one quantum computer could do um mm-hmm. but at this point in time, none of those problems are practical. Like, no one needs to do them. Mm. Um, but I think at the point where, like, quantum computers can start cracking uh, encryption, I think that's going to be pretty major uh, milestone. Mm. Like the cr- encryption for the blockchain? Encryption for anything, right? Like, our internet is run on encryption. So if if anyone can break that encryption, that's gonna like seriously wreck the, the internet. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to understand is, uh, so I know right now currently my like, CPU is a bits, right? Like zero one, right? Represent zero one, and then quantum computer you can do qubits, right? Quantum bits, right? right. Uh, I, how is that? How does that? I guess how? Why is that more better than? It's just one zero. Uh, so like I only know about this from like a at a superficial level. Yeah. Um, but the the idea is that you can compute like all possible states, right? Mm-hmm. So in if you have like a thirty two bit number, um, in in binary, that's only ever going to represent one number, right? But okay. in in quantum bits, you could represents all possible numbers that could be represented by 32 bits, right? So that's like 4 billion uh, numbers <clears throat> that a quantum computer can, can represent. And so it can solve um, a particular problem with these bits kind of like very fast because it's a physical system of solving. It's like, imagine if you have... Um, Okay, imagine like a computer is trying to render a 3D scene, right? Okay. And, and it's, it's, it's trace each ray and bouncing each material and calculating all these things. And then many hours later, it comes back with uh, a matrix of colors that represents a view of this 3D scene. Mm-hmm. Or you can build this 3D scene, Right in physical, in reality, just build it with actual, like the, the surface you want 
just paint it that way. And then the lights you want, just buy the light for it. And then boom, you turn on the light. It's instant. You have the scene. Hmm. Right? So that's kind of like what quantum computers are, is that you set up um, the actual problem represented by the, the qubits and the way they, they are connected to each other. You actually build out the problem in hardware and then you let it run and then it brings you the, the, the solution. Hmm. So that's, that's the current state of, of quantum computers is that you're kind of building a machine for the problem you want to solve. Hmm. I mean, you, you that's talk, a good analogy. So you mentioned that it's a toy, it's still a toy, but people have been working on it for like the last 20 or 30 years, right? Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what's, what, what's really, what's going on? I mean, what, what's the, like, like keeping it, like getting better? That you I think part of it is just like, it's, it's very hard. Uh, it, so like you have to cool the, the computers down to like, almost absolute zero um there's <clears throat> it's, it's very finicky it's it's easy it's, it's still very fragile mm. and so like it's not like every time you turn it on it's gonna work like sometimes it it might not work and and there's a number of reasons why it might not work and so it's more like engineering wise we're not at that point where it's reliable enough um and cost effective enough uh where you can just hand these out. Okay. It, is it going to happen at all, though? I mean, like, it, have they actually proven that, like, because I know one of the major problems with it is, like, like something to do with error correction, right? Like, when a bit flips, you can detect that and correct that. Whereas, like, like I, I think you, it, it's been proven you can detect if there's some type of issue with the qubit, but, like, it's they haven't found a way to correct it yet or something. So like, I mean, I, it, it, like are, have they shown at least theoretically it's going to happen? Um, I think you know more about that than me at this point. Cause I, I know like there's some like probabilistic solution that they generate, <laughs> but I don't know too much about like error correction. In computers. I see. Yeah. Well, no, I was reading a book for it this week and I got through like a chapter. So I, I can't say I know more than you, but I, I know <laughs> like basically quantum computing, like you don't represent probabilities, you represent probabilities in the complex number space. That was what the first <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> well, that means you like that means essentially like like they I mean they essentially were saying that quantum computers like where probabilities like will like always be positive and always sum up to one, like in the complex number space, like you can have bits that essentially are qubits that essentially cancel each other out, which is part of the reason why this like can make a lot of computations like a lot, lot faster than they would be otherwise. Um, mm. Yeah. I'll have to finish the book. Mm. But it's yeah, it's, it's interesting, but I, I get the impression, yes, that a lot of this is very, very theoretical and not even close to happening. So I probably know, I'm sure I know less than either of y'all do, but my limited understanding was like, even if you got all the theoretical and implementation details to work, it's still like, it's only useful still for a very narrow set of problems. Like you're never gonna render the next generation PS eight is never going to have a quantum computer to render graphics faster. Right. Like that's just not what it does is what I understood, but that could definitely be wrong. Well, I mean, isn't it just a different way? Well, 
I mean, you could definitely be right. I mean, but I'm just thinking like, isn't it essentially just a different way of encoding information? So like, I mean, like we encode information with zeros and ones. Like, could we figure out a way with cube, like encode information with these qubits, right? I think the issue is that we don't have something like add and subtract and and like multiply and shift and these kind of operations with, with qubits. And um, I, I don't think it's a matter of like running a long program in a quantum computer um, because I don't think there's like serial setup instructions that we command the quantum computer to do. Um, it's more like we set up a physical structure and then we let it run. So at this point in time, the kind of physical structures they can set up um, only like maps well to like these random non-practical problems that no one really cares about. Right. So if, if you could build like, say like the, the example I've given, like if you can build a representation of a room, like a 3D space in, in a quantum computer, then yeah, maybe it could, it could like render um, to it, but I, I don't think we're anywhere near that right now. Mm. All right. Not to invest in quantum computing. <laughs> I think that's a smart call. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet, at least. Yeah. So, what my last qu- last question from me? Uh, what are the innovations in the microchip uh, space that you are most excited about? If and there's anything, uh, I mean, I think uh, AI is definitely uh, the most exciting thing right now. Mm. But I also think that um, just the way that computers are structured right now, um, there is a lot of fat left on the table that we can cut. A what? Uh, A lot of fat. So what I mean by that is like, even though we're like squeezing the the transistors and we're making them more efficient and we're designing hardware um, to to better uh, process these things, to better map to the kind of applications we're, we're running them through, um, at, at the heart of it, all, all of computer architecture is still based on the von Neumann model, um, which is you have, a, you know, a bank of memory, you have a processor, and then there's a bus that connects them to it so that you can transfer data, manipulate data, and then store it back. At this point in time, it is this interface that is consuming like a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 10 to 100 times more energy to transfer a bit from memory to the processor than it is to like do a fully important operation on that bit or on, on a set of bits. Mm. So, so you're talking about between the processor and the CPU cache? No, not the cache. Um, I mean, like at each level of the cache, there's more and more energy required to move a bit. Uh, and then to the point where you're moving from the memory to the last level cache that is like the highest cost in, in energy. And then of course, like moving it to like an SSD would be even more costly, mm. right? And so that's why we have caches is so that we don't have to move data as much. But when you think about something like, um, you know, you're, you're playing the latest AAA game, every frame um, that's being rendered requires gigabytes of data to move from the memory to the GPU and back, right? And so you're transferring oftentimes the same set of gigabytes of data back and forth over and over again 
for every single frame. And that is where most of the energy is being consumed. So if you can find a way to not move that data at all, um, then you, you can be saving a lot of energy. So we could be looking at, you know, 10, 100 times more energy efficiency uh, in, in computers over the next several decades. So, I mean, I guess the obvious thing that points to is trying to make a massive cache that's, you know, eight gigabytes big on the chip. You know, is that possible? <laughs> so that even then, right, you're still moving data around. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe like two or three or four times more energy efficient, but um, cash themselves um, consume quite a bit of energy. Um, so that's not uh, the, the solution. There are uh, this model called a uh, processor in memory where you put a uh, processing processor logic uh, onto the memory dies. So you have like a bank of memory and instead of, loading that onto a bus and then transfer to a CPU, you put simple, like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like ALUs. Um, so like uh, things that can do like add and subtract and, and shift and stuff into each memory bank. And then you can have like thousands of them in each one. And so you load the, the, the data onto this thing, process it, and then maybe one out of every hundred bits then um, needs to be transferred to the actual processor to do work. Mm-hmm. Right? So in that way, you can you can increase energy efficiency. Uh, so you just arrange things such that minimize the transfer of things, right? Right. So the, the main thing, the main heat, I guess the energy is coming from, because it's transferring electricity, right? It's it's the, you know, the traces, right? Yeah, you tra- basically... He's transferring, like, moving electricity around, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot more electricity required to uh, move a bit of data, you know, off the chip into the motherboard and then on the trace on the motherboard and back into another chip. Yeah. So is that why uh, people are moving, like, try to work on, like, something called optical, op- optical computing? Like, instead of using electricity, use light to transfer data? Yeah, I think those are, I mean, we already have that. It's called fiber. Oh, what? Uh, it's called fiber, fiber optics. Uh. Right, so like you might have fiber internet. That's, that's yeah, but, yeah, but I'm saying that you're working on a chip level, right? Like computer chips, like optical computer. Right. So yeah. there's actually not that much energy uh, required to deliver, uh, to deliver data like across a distance within a computer. Uh, okay. It's more of the getting the signal off of the chip and then back onto the chip. That's where yeah. most of the, the energy cost occurs. So oh, okay. if you're doing fiber, you're, you still have to do on and off the chip. And there's actually quite a bit of energy consumed in transforming a digital signal into an optical signal. Mm. So over long distances, that, that makes sense. But within a chip, it doesn't make as much sense. Okay. And, and optical uh, mechanisms, they're, they're larger. Mm, yeah. they, they consume area as well. Okay. I think going back to what you mentioned earlier about exciting about you, exciting about uh, AI and us AI. So AI chips, I guess, why are you excited about that? Well, this is kind of a, a pet theory of mine, but um, I think AI can be more beneficial to um, like programmers earlier than your general layman, right? 
like it, it's hard for you know Siri or, or Google to understand like natural language because there's a lot of ambiguity. Um, we map uh, like our language onto the real world. And so the way our language is interpreted is filtered through an understanding of reality, right? If we want AI to understand our language, it has to understand the reality we live in and that we talk about. Hmm. Um, but if you look at a programmer's perspective, it's a restricted smaller language set that we refer to a finite number of, you know, small number of things. And so you can, you can look at like, like for loops and like, you know, tree algorithms and recursions and all that, that is a much smaller set than, you know, things in the known universe or things that your average teenager might want to talk about. Right. Mm. So I think um, we'll probably see AI impacting programming um, earlier than AI, like writing your term paper. I don't know. Maybe maybe term papers could also be um, something that AIs can help with because, like, a lot of times it's it's the same thing that everyone writes. Um, but of course, that would defeat the point of having people write term papers. And how? Yeah. So how how is that related to the computing though, the microchip level, or does it? Um, it doesn't, uh, unless you know, except that computer chips are what AI algorithms would run on. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, so like better AI chips can allow more powerful, bigger AI algorithms with, you know, larger footprint to to run on, um, and and run at efficiently and at the speed that you would require it to. Um, I I gotta bring up though another, I think a big potential use of these chips, um, kind of AI chips that Google's developing is in robotics. I mean, we could be biased, but like. I mean, some of the things like, like a lot of, there's a, there's a decent amount of work, stuff that works in terms of like computer vision and slam and motion planning that are kind of core to make robotics, robots that can like interact and deal with the real world, but they are expensive and there's still some like polishing to do to make them, you know, commercially viable. But I don't think we're that, like, I don't think that the technology and the fundamental algorithms need much more work. I think with good engineering and good hardware to run it, like we could make robots that do a lot of tasks right now that we don't, you know, we don't really are kind of out of range, but not that far. Like if you can have, I mean, we've all seen deep learning, deep neural networks, like identify like items, right? Mm -hmm. So like that could be one pipeline in a larger robotic system that, you know, is picking and placing objects like at an Amazon warehouse they need something to identify objects really fast and efficiently, right? So they have a TPU to do that. That's, you know, a TPU and some custom software optimized for the Amazon warehouse. And then, you know, maybe there's also a chip for this for motion planning, which is in some ways is a problem where you're testing a bunch of solutions. Um, it depends how you do it. But sometimes it's a matter of trying a bunch of solutions and, you know, finding a good one. Um, so you combine two chips to do that along with a CPU to kind of just be the general management, maybe you have a robot arm that can do pick and place on a human level, right? And stuff are, like that is extremely... That can, are sorry. there arms that are that delicate and, and flexible to pick any arbitrary object, like including soft body objects? Uh, hardware 
you can definitely make something hardware that could do that in terms, especially because like grippers, you can add like cushion and stuff, right? That gives them some freedom, but like the software to, I don't know, make it smart enough. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, we do have arms now that can do that. That grab very like soft stuff, mm-hmm. like egg, you know. But yeah, and how do we use that? And like, how to do the correct like, you know, move anywhere we want, be make it more intelligent is still a challenge. I mean, I don't. I feel like most of the stuff you get shipped on Amazon is either not fragile, or if it is fragile, it's in its own like it's in its own inner packaging to start with, right? Because these things get tossed around and abused anyway so i don't think a robot has to be incredibly um delicate you know yeah mm-hmm. all right but yeah that's my thoughts that's where that's where i go to when i hear ai chips i'm like this is gonna be how we get to robots like expanding into a lot of other areas yeah. so those are those are the main limitations of uh, like general robotics is the, the path planning and and identifying objects those are some of the major challenges um motion planning in general both to like move yourself through space and like move an arm is one of them and vision um those are probably two of the hardest things that have gone a lot better but like restrict a robot because it's it's relatively much easier to do like the ai problem of like what's the optimal way to like load a dishwasher right like if you kind of have that mapped out of the logic the hard part for a robot is like just like grabbing the dish that's just randomly thrown in a sink and then like manip- you, they have to see it, figure out exactly where it's in 3D space and then find the right way to like grab it. And, you know, if there's any other objects nearby, like does that fall off when you pick it up, stuff like that. So that's like the hard part um, mm-hmm. for robotics. Yeah. Well, I thought the hardest part is, is folding a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> folding a shirt is incredibly difficult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I would say last question. Uh, last last question. <laughs> if you if you're gonna if you're gonna teach someone I don't know, like someone who doesn't know anything about computer chips, like how how would you teach the person? How 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 would you recommend? Where do they where should they start? How would you teach that? Um, there are actually I found quite a few good YouTube videos where they will you know, they'll go through like the logic gates. From logic gates to like Tetris, mm. right? It'll teach you everything in between. And for me, um, it was just like the first few weeks of my first uh, intro to computing course that like really opened my eyes and and taught me like how computers work at the basic level. Um, if you can go from like electricity's flowing through and like you know switches to logical operations to um, you know Boolean operations, and then you know, construct a truth table and then you can map that to arithmetic and then you can map that to, you know, how to, how do numbers represent things like text or, or pixels or, or sound waves. Then at that point you can do pretty much everything and you can understand how we could logically extrapolate to everything else that, that we use computers for. I think computers are a really interesting example of something where each step is actually not that complicated. Like once you learn it, it's pretty simple, but there are just so many steps, so many layers of abstraction that like, if you want to fully know it, you have to go through quite a long stack sort of, of like knowledge basically, but it's, it's not hard. It's just, yeah. Taking it one step at a time. Hmm. That's my opinion. It's not like advanced mathematics, which I am very bad at. 
right? In, in my day job, all I have to do is count for the most part. <laughs> counting from zero and counting from one, like those are, those are the two hardest things I have to do. All right. Um, in, in computer science, um, there are just variations of this joke, but there's like, um, things like there's only three real uh, problems. Um, one is naming things correctly. And two is off by one errors. A what? Last second off one? by one errors. Off by one errors. All right. Yeah. I did not get a joke as usual. It's, there are three problems. Three things, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, I'm 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 so bad at this. <laughs> wow, no sense of humor. <laughs> all right. Any any anyway. Uh, that's all my questions. Anything from Mac and Mike? Mm. I mean, I feel like you covered a pretty wide array of topics there, show. Sounds good. So. Sounds good. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you, C, for sharing, answering questions, no, stupid questions, I would say. <laughs> no, no, they were very good questions. All right. Uh, I learned a lot about hardware. It's a good reminder for my intro to computing class like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, computing is a very big area right now there's a you know computer interface right but this is this is this one this one i want to focus on the, the most fun the high the chip level right the low level yeah mm-hmm. yeah all right should we unlight yeah. ourselves yeah next week gaming so tune gaming. in we're doing gaming that's what i thought right. oh is your brother gonna come on mike I don't know. I'll ask him. What kind of game? All right. We're going non-live. All right. Adios. Junto Club.